Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a born dreamer who started from being a flight attendant and worked her way up into now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and seasoned entrepreneur in multiple successful ventures. This podcast is for the awakened dreamer. Industry icons will share their humble beginnings up to the leaders they are today. Let's all learn and be inspired. Together, we can all prosper. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. It's the podcast for the dreamers, but more importantly, the doers. I'm your host, Melody. Today, we're excited to talk about an upcoming film that is currently in contention for the Oscars. But more importantly, it tackles a critical, socially relevant topic. What better way to talk about this film than to have the filmmaker here with us? He's also a recipient of the Panavision's Future Filmmaker Award, among other accolades and award that he has, which uh, we will for sure post in, uh, in this episode. So ladies and gentlemen, please, let's welcome Emil Gallardo. Hi, Emil. Hey, hey Melody. How's it going? It's going. Um, so let's start. If you could share with our audience, um, and if you could take us back to the time that you were starting out as a filmmaker, how was it like? What were your struggles and, and challenges, and how did you overcome those? Yeah. Um, so I, so growing up, I thought I was going to be a writer. Um, I've just always been writing stories my whole life since, uh, since I was a little kid. Um, and I didn't even go to school that much. I wasn't like a good student or anything, but uh, I just always had these stories that I needed to tell. Um, so I thought I was going to go that route. And then when I was in my early 20s, uh, I was kind of lost, not sure what I wanted to do. Grew up in L.A., but um, didn't grow up with any connections to the film industry. Didn't grow up with a camera. Didn't have a rich uncle, nothing like that. Um, so I just decided like, OK, well, this is something that I'm interested in let me see what it's all about. Um, so I found a Craigslist ad for an entry level position for a PA, um, applied to that, got an interview, went through the whole interview process. And then at the end, um, the guy I was interviewing with said, uh, are you comfortable with nudity? And I thought he was talking about me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to like explore this industry that much. I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. And he's like, no, 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 no. like not, not you. Um, you know, on the other side of the camera. And I said, oh, okay, I, I guess. Um, so sure enough, I find my way onto a softcore porn set as one of a handful of PAs. Um, so it all kind of started there for me. And to answer your question, as far as struggles, I mean, the first struggle was just, I didn't know anything. I didn't, I didn't know a single thing about filmmaking. I didn't know any roles. I didn't know what the departments were. I didn't know what they did. I didn't know what it took to make a show or a film. Um, and then I, I remember feeling like, wow, like, you know, I grew up in LA and, and, and I'm Mexican and, you know, like so much of Los Angeles is Latino. And then here I am in this industry and there's no one. <laughs> all these people had come from all over the, the country and some even the world. And like, I just, I just felt like a fish out of water and I had never been in an environment like that. And I, like I said, I didn't know anything. So it was just kind of figuring out everything on my own from scratch and and trying to figure out how to get to where I wanted to go. So those were my first kind of struggles, uh, just kind of navigating the whole industry and, and politics and hierarchy. Not knowing, uh, not knowing anyone uh, in the industry. I'm curious, Emil, what was the uh, what was the ad? What did the ad say that prompted you to to um, 
to call uh, and follow that, follow that uh, lead. I don't even, I mean, this was a long time. This was in 2002, maybe 2003. So um, I just remember feeling like, you know, I, it probably said something to the effect of no experience needed because I felt comfortable applying. And, you know, it was a complete entry level position. You know, most of my job that first week consisted of making sure that so we were filming. So uh, it was a whole series for Cinemax, a softcore series. And so we were there in this mansion in Bel Air for three weeks. And so we had to put these big sheets of cardboard down on the floors to protect the mansion from getting scraped up by all of us. And so inevitably the stands and high heels and everything would puncture it. So my job was to go by and either tape it up or replace the cardboard. And so it was like as entry level as you get, like if you can spot a hole and patch a hole, like you're qualified. So, uh, <laughs> so it's probably something to that effect. Did you have a, so for our audience, PA is production assistant, right? Yeah. Sorry. It's a production assistant, which is just, uh, it's just kind of, whatever the production needs. So if you need to replace cardboard, if you need, you know, another hard drive, if you need to go get, you know, lunch for somebody because they have a specific diet or it's just anything the production needs, you're there to assist. So it's kind of anything and everything that's needed. Um, so, yeah. With regards to that ad, did it say anything about filmmaking or anything with regards to the film industry? anything like that or it was just yeah 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 I mean I knew I was trying you know I was looking for stuff related to film because I was trying to just kind of poke my head into this world and see what it was all about so it definitely uh, mentioned you know it said it was a production assistant I, I knew what a production assistant was uh -huh. um, so and then in my interview you know we talked a lot about that and I knew it was going to be multiple weeks and so it seemed like you know, it served my purposes of like, let, let me get on a set and kind of figure out what's what. And, and then sure enough, I just kind of, I remember that first day and I got there and I just was like, this is like, I love, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm home. Like, I feel like this is where I belong. And yeah. The content, I, I eventually left softcore. Um, the content wasn't the perfect fit, but the environment, the camaraderie, the, the rigorousness, I mean, you know, even in softcore, you're shooting like a ton of material per day. Mm -hmm. So the department that I went in, into is all logistical. So we had to quickly figure out like, how are we going to make our schedule every single day and execute our plan? And so um, there was a lot I fell in love with really quickly. Uh, and I just knew like, this is, this is where I belong. Um, so. so even today, uh, porn industry is still considered uh, taboo, you know, for, for a lot of people. For sure. How break it to your family that that's kind of <laughs> your first job or that's the career or that's the job that, that you have. Like, hey, it's nine o'clock. I'm going to go to work. <laughs> And yeah, um, I don't know how much I told them at first. Um, they just knew I was working a lot. And then, you know, I did that for a few months. And then I remember uh, Jamie, who was the head of the production company, they, they filmed other stuff as well. Um, but their like deal with Cinemax, I think was kind of their bread and butter. And, and I remember sitting down with Jamie one day and saying like, I just, I can't work on this stuff anymore. And, you know, it was a hard conversation because they treated us well. And, you know, it, I was learning a lot and I got to do a lot of different things. Um, but I remember just telling her like, this isn't, it's not for me and I, I need to kind of leave. Um, so, 
I wasn't, I wasn't there that long. It was, I don't know, six to 12 months probably until I left that industry completely and then got into other stuff. Um, but I don't think I ever had that conversation uh, with, with my family. And it wasn't, I mean, it was softcore. So they're, they're, they're naked, but they're legally not allowed to have sex. And we would uh, physically prevent them. Like the guys had to wear a nylon. The ladies had to wear like a big bandage. And sometimes they would get kind of caught up in the moment and we'd have to cut. And we're like, hey, guys, just a reminder. Well, first we saw you, you know, take your little sock off. And second, like legally, we're not, you know, regulated for that. And, you know, so, um, so yeah. it wasn't too extreme, but. With, yeah. with, uh, with the COVID and the pandemic, I don't know what's ever going to happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is way yeah. before all that. Yeah. You have your face shield. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. Well, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, there was this, um, data, I think it was uh, the pediatric journal, where it talked about uh, pornography, which is, uh, it's saying that around 42% of um, children ages 10 to 17 have already been exposed to um, uh, video pornography. So I don't know if that's soft porn or what have you. During your six to 12 month uh, stint, in that yeah. industry, did you form any opinion uh, about uh, about that industry, about that field? Yeah, um, yeah, funny. I've never been asked that. Um, yeah, uh, I remember. I don't know how graphic you want to get, but um, stop me if I'm going too far. But I remember one day I'm, I'm driving a, a passenger van. I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm PA on the same show, and I have to take these two actors back to the parking lot where their cars are. And so I'm just driving this van and, and, you know, it holds like 16 people, but it's just the two of them in the back. And so they're having this conversation kind of as if I'm not there. And I remember the male actor saying to the female one, um, you know, I, I really need to stop getting upset with my girlfriend just because she's giving jobs every day. Like it's her job, but it's my job too. And I really need to get control of that because it's really stressing me the fuck out. And I was sitting there like, wow all right this is like <laughs> just driving and i like try not to look in the mirror and like look at her reaction and they're just having this very normal conversation and i just realized like it's just so different than how i thought and kind of you know what the norms were for me and my relationship at the time and i think the biggest thing was just i don't fully understand all of the experiences and how the people that you know are on that side of the camera how they see everything and the experiences that they've had that have kind of brought them to that viewpoint. Um, so it's more like, I don't understand because right. like a lot of times, you know, we become very desensitized very quickly because you just, just naked people around you constantly and they don't, they don't care. Like it's not, it's not a big deal to them. They'll walk around naked until it's time to shoot and then they'll put on a bikini and hop on set. And like, because they don't seem to mind, it becomes like, normal like just like furniture in the room like it's not anything enticing because it doesn't feel like it's private um so i remember that feeling work, like, right what's that it becomes work it becomes a chore yeah and, you know interesting you brought up that it, you get desensitized and at the oh, same time yeah on the other end of those uh, of the viewers they you know there is a high um statistics of, uh, of addiction, you know, uh, pornographic uh, addiction that apparently is a sign of depression 
and um, you know, loneliness, anxiety, so on and so forth. So there's really right. a lot of uh, things that go on with with, with that industry. <laughs> it's a different world. It's a different world because then you spend like 16 hours a day on the crew, just surrounded by naked people having like simulated sex. And then you come home to your partner and it's just weird. It's like, cause you have been so desensitized and sex is like entertainment all day long. And it's so like fabricated. And so it does kind of, I mean, just speaking for myself, I'm not trying to represent the whole crew. Yes, we no, never talked just, about this. Just a real raw opinion of, of yeah. Yeah, so for me, it definitely desensitized me very quickly because it's it's your job. And, you know, I remember I'm like doing a call sheet, you know, in a garage, you know, while they're shooting in the house on my laptop. And then there's somebody who's 100% naked having a conversation about, so what time is my scene? And I'm like, oh, let me check. Okay, it looks like you're going to be up in 30 minutes. And I'm like <laughs> trying to make eye contact, you know, like, <laughs> so it's, it's a, yeah. it's a, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a different work environment for sure. So with regards to um, your life as a filmmaker now, what tr what truly inspired you, Emil, to get in this industry? Uh, to me, it always comes back to the stories. Uh, and I, you know, we can, we can leave softcore as a topic, but that was part of the reason why it wasn't right for me is like, we weren't making stories that we were all excited about. And for me, it comes down to, it comes down to empathy. I, I feel like stories are an amazing way to create empathy because you can take the audience and just drop them into your main character's shoes. And, you know, if we were to have a conversation, I could tell you what it's like to grow up in LA and, you know, you could kind of imagine, but in a film, it's so immersive. It's such an immersive art form. It has music, it has, you know, your camera, your lenses, your actors, you know, you name it. Like locations, editing. I mean, there's so many different components. Yeah. yeah, and there's so many different like tools as a filmmaker that you have to create an experience. Mm -hmm. um, and not to knock like a novel or anything like that, but in a novel, you still have a story and the viewer is imagining what they're reading and what it looks like and what these characters sound like and are they tall, are they short, are they old? You know, like there, a lot is left to their imagination and that's great, there's nothing wrong with that. And in a film, you get to create the whole environment, everything they see, everything they hear. And, and so for me, it's that transporting the viewer into a situation, into a world, into a character's shoes, um, that's probably a lot different than them. And, and then by the end of the film, now they have a perspective that they didn't have before. And I just am addicted to that. That's what I'm addicted to. <laughs> So with regards to uh, your your journey um, as a filmmaker, was there anything that stand out in terms of biggest disappointment, biggest failure or mistake, if you could call it that, that you would consider your biggest uh, learning, biggest teaching uh, moment? Is there anything like that, Emil? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm learning constantly. Um, as a director, I've made several mistakes. And um, so one thing I do at the end of every project is uh, I make a very objective list of everything that went well, everything that didn't, and then what I want to correct going into the next one. And it's, it's like not even ruthless because there's no judgment. It's just very objective. So, and it includes myself, obviously, 
but it's everything. Like everything I can think of, this went well, this went well, this went well, these didn't. Um, and so, you know, then I go back and I look at that, like I do it immediately after and then leading up into the next production, I'll look at that just to refresh myself. Um, so there's been a ton of things, I think. And I'm kind of a person that learns, it's going to sound weird, but I learn through pain. I mean, the mistakes that I've made, I really don't enjoy them. They, they sting and they stay with me and I, um, I, I really don't like them. So it's not that I don't think I'll make future mistakes, but I hope not to repeat them. So for me, a lot of it is around moments I've missed or not being open enough to what was happening then and there, like, because I'm also a writer, you know, we've kind of carefully constructed a story in all these moments and beats. And then, uh, you know, in production, I'm trying to bring them to life. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes I've, I've made the mistake of I'm not as present as I need to be to catch what's actually happening right then and there. And so I, I'll give you an example. Um, in one, two, three, when the class comes into the second classroom, we had stopped the kids from going into that location until we were ready to film them because we actually wanted to get their, their real reaction to the space that they hadn't seen before. And so they come into the room and we're filming and they sit down and, you know, I'm behind the monitor watching all this. And I remember a little boy, he's sitting on the floor and there's all these like empty shell casings and he pick one up and, you know, these are AR-15 blank, like fired shell casings. And he's looking at it with just this like curiosity and the, the human in me was active. And I'm like, stop it. Like put that down. What are you doing? It's not a toy. And I was also worried he was going to stick it in his pocket and take it home. And his parents were going to find it later and freak out. And so I just immediately like shut it down. And then afterwards I was like, wow, that that's such an amazing moment because it's saying kind of everything I want to say in one moment. It's, it's this innocence meeting this like, ridiculous awful violence and those two things should never coincide and yet in this moment it is and that image said all that in that one and his just genuine curiosity and I could have we could have filmed it but I wasn't it wasn't written I didn't think of that I wasn't anticipating these kids would be fascinated by bullets you know um and so it's the moments like that where it's like oh if I had just stayed a little more receptive to what's actually happening um, then we could have captured that and that moment could have been in the film but I didn't and I didn't catch it till afterwards so so that all goes in my kind of list of things and um, so it's just a reminder to, to stay present stay connected stay open um, we can still ready, have right? what's sorry what's that uh, and always be ready ready be to ready for like for for authenticity and th that was a that was a real moment and I mean to our credit like we did capture a lot of real moments too um but as far as mistakes you know that's one of them that I just like and it just came out of being a little too fixated on our plan you know let me just piggyback on what you said about uh pain you know how yeah. you see you um and you also talked about writing so I actually wrote a piece of article uh that has something to do with, uh, you know, what is the upside to the pandemic downtime, right? right, right. Talks about, um, I mean, the, the intro was 
uh, pain, using pain as an intriguing currency mm-hmm. that, you know, for some people, and it's just the perspective for, for some people, they use pain as something that would let them go deep down mm-hmm. um, a hole that is really hard for them to claw up, you know, right. Right. Uh, and others, they use it to really, you know, help them propel to, to, to better themselves. So, so that's a, that's an interesting uh, point uh, that you brought up in terms of advice, Emil, for, uh, for our audience who want to get into uh, the industry, is there maybe one or two things that you would want to maybe share uh, with our audience? Yeah. And again, um, my advice is coming from my life experience. So with this industry, um, there is no one path. There's, it's not like if you wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor and there's very specific steps that you need to take, um, that doesn't exist. So for one, I think would be having that expectation that there is no specific one path. Mm -hmm. Um, So your story is going to be different and what worked for one person may not work for you. Um, But my first thing, especially to like younger emerging filmmakers would be even if you want to be a director or a writer, um, having actual production experience is invaluable. And I see this all the time, like I read a ton of scripts now and I know a ton of screenwriters now and a lot of them have never been on set. And so when I'm reading their script, I'm always, I can tell that, that this is a story, but it's not necessarily because a script isn't the final product. It's not like a novel where, you know, that is the story that that's what the consumer consumes, right? Like a script, a screenplay is a blueprint for a film. And so I think the more production experience you have in a variety of departments, even if your goal is to be a writer or a director or both, knowing how to take a script and transform it into the final product that the viewer consumes will only make your writing and directing stronger. Um, So my first piece of advice would just be find a way to get on set. It kind of doesn't matter what department at first um, you're going to figure it out. Like you're going to start to gravitate towards what you naturally like to do and where your skill set brings you. So find a way on set and just take some time to, experiment and and play and try different departments. Like, do you like sound? Do you like camera? Do you like wardrobe? Do you like makeup? Do you like the production department, craft services? Like you name it, there's a whole variety of things to do. Um, So, and even if that's not your end goal, just spending time with each one or or getting deep in one is only gonna make you a better filmmaker. And I feel like so many people are just like, they rush (laughs) to, to jump in to their ultimate thing, but they miss all that all that information along the way. And I think it's- I think that's, uh, that's very important to be a well-rounded um, professional in any, in any field. Uh, it's good to start from other angles as well and really have uh, your hands dirty and go down the trenches on, on what it's like uh, in the other parts of uh, of the business, rather than just being in one track, uh, one yeah. part of the whole uh, scheme of things, right? Yeah, and I would say I think that there's a misconception, and I, and I'm just speaking for myself. I had this. I think that we think of a director as like 
just a storyteller. Like, oh, here, I'm here to tell people what to do to create this story. And I think so much of your job is to be a motivator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, production, you know, you're shooting anywhere from 10 to uh, like 18 hours sometimes in a day. How do you keep people motivated on hour 17? And they got to be back tomorrow in 10 hours. You know what I mean? Like so much of your job is to motivate and it's a whole variety of personalities. So the more that you've been there, you know, that was you at one point, the more you're able to speak their language and get them to still give you their best on hour 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, throughout the duration of your project. So um, that's as much a part of the job as anything else. I think that also goes back to what you said uh, a moment ago regarding empathy. So right. you know, that's the only way that you could empathize if you right. somehow right. you've been in their shoes, right? And I also like the part where, you know, truly as a leader and as a director, you're really there to orchestrate and, and lead, but there's no follower if you can't lead. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And film is, I mean, you're like a conductor with an orchestra, right? Like you have all these people that are very good and very specialized, right. you know, like if it's the orchestra analogy, you have your, oh God, <laughs> I'm gonna, my lack of knowledge of orchestra is about to be revealed, but you have all your individual musicians, right? And your job is to kind of bring them all together to create something harmonious. Exactly. And so exactly. that's that's the job. And so if you've been in their seat, then you're like, okay, I know what it's like and you can speak to that. So yeah, totally. So Emil, uh, in terms of being a filmmaker, is there like an overarching philosophy that you have in doing your craft for like for me or for the industry or for you, for you, for you as a filmmaker. As a- yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. Um, the story comes first and I'm like super passionate about it. And again, I'm speaking for myself. I, I don't, you know, there's yes, a whole please. variety of films and I'm not knocking anybody for liking whatever they like. That's great. Um, but for me, the story comes first. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people, you know, they get caught up in like, oh, this explosion would be cool. Or if we could see more cleavage or, you know, if they were covered in blood or whatever, like these, or or this really elaborate camera move. And they get like very um, kind of, I don't know, caught up in these sensational things. And for me, it's like, sure, we could have any, we could have all of those things if they push the story forward. And so to me, anything that overpowers or detracts from the story and a really common example would be like the score in a film where the music is so heavy that <laughs> you're like, okay, like there's no subtlety to this. It's, it's telling me what to feel. It's become overpowering. And I've now been pulled out of the story because the music is so overpowering. And so, and you see the same thing with camera moves. You'll see the same thing with a performance where you have a variety of people in a scene and then you just have one actor that's just like so dominant. And again, you know, going back to the orchestra analogy, you want to blend. And I, I, to me, it's blending all of these things, the lighting, the camera, the costumes, the actors, the dialogue, all of these things. So to me, the story comes first. The story is always going to, we're going to always defer to what is best for the story that dictates so many different answers. 
listening to you and then um you know having the privilege to to watch the film i truly could see that i could truly see that uh in your work where you really allowed uh the story to to really pop you know oh, thank it's you. not about you really could get immersed uh, in, in the story. So let's talk about your film, uh, One, Two, Three, All Eyes on Me. Uh, what, why, why the title, Emil? Um, so the title came out of uh, an interview. So we did several interviews with different teachers. And um, so my writing partner, shout out to Derek, um, we, we get it, we debate like pretty much everything. <laughs> uh, so one, I remember one call we were like, well, what would the teacher say to get the class's attention? Oh. And one of us was like, they'd be like, hey class. And I'm, and I'm like, no, <laughs> they're not just say, hey class. So, you know, yeah. So we had like this ongoing list of just like questions for the next interview. Uh -huh. And so that was, I wrote it down. Um, when you want to get your class's attention, what do you say? And so I was talking to um, one teacher out on the East Coast uh, and she was mentioning these different phrases. She's an art teacher, uh, shout out to Cher. And um, she was saying, well, you know, we'll say Mona and then Lisa, like I'll say Mona and the class will say Lisa, um, or I'll say peanut butter, they'll say jelly. And then she said, one, two, three, all lies on me. And they'll say one, two, all lies on you. And I just remember I heard it and, I, I, and I'm taking notes the whole time. And I just like, wait a minute. Like, I, I think that's the title. And then I brought it back to Derek and we talked about it and it just felt like, you know, I, I won't give away too much, but it kind of takes on multiple meanings in the film, including kind of like a lot of what we are trying to say is like, you know, all this entire situation has fallen on the shoulders of one person and all eyes are on her. And we don't feel like that's right. <laughs> like, this isn't what she signed up for. This shouldn't all come down to one person. These situations shouldn't exist. Um, and so it just had multiple meanings for us. And it, it, and then I've had lots of teachers who are like, wait a minute, like, what is this movie about? Like, this is the phrase that I use. Um, and then they watch it. And I think, you know, it's not hard for them to imagine themselves there. And um, yeah, and that's really um, part of your, uh, the art, the art and the skills that you really have uh, put in here, Emil. Um, with regards to um, what prompted you, what prompted you to, to write this film? What was your trigger, trigger point? It, it, so the trigger, so it was, well, first it was just feeling like we need to do more about this. Like we're not, we okay. understand this on an intellectual level. Like we know that these scenarios happen, but for some reason there's a disconnect and like I don't I, I don't know if we're becoming numb as a society to this or what but like we need we need to take the audience into the situation and make them feel what it would be like so that was that that was that was there I mean that's been there just whenever these things arise I ask myself like how can I help contribute to ending this um, but the trigger point was a cell phone video that I had seen and in the video there's guys shooting at one another outside of this classroom and the, the kids are very young and the teacher asks all the kids to get on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so the kids get on the ground and then she says to them, you know, will you sing with me? And she starts singing to them. And then one by one, she's calling their names and saying, you know, please sing with me, please sing with me. 
And I remember in that, the, it's a, you know, a shaky little cell phone video. And I, I remember watching that and just feeling like she's so consumed by protecting them in every imaginable way. She's not only protecting them physically, but emotionally. And never is she giving a thought to herself or her own well-being. And I was so inspired by her courage. I mean, that's genuine courage and selflessness. And I just, I felt like we needed to tell a story about a person like that. Um, I think it was a, um, a data that shows out of um, like only 5% of the world's population are Americans. And yet 42% or some ridiculous number right. of of mass shooting comes from from America. Why do you think is that, Emil? What do you think is the root to, to that? Um, you think it's <laughs> mental health, or is there really a mental health issue that is so staggering here in the United States, or is it is it gun control? I, I don't know. I was just hoping that perhaps while doing the film that came about as to what the heck, why, why is this so astonishing in terms of kind of the, um, of how it's just escalating. So apparently 2018, there were 323 or some, some, um, some number as to how many mass shootings. And then 2019, um, it went up to 400 some. And then 2020, of course, with a pandemic, uh, you would expect it to right. also spike up. So it's now in the upwards of 580 uh, mass shooting. And, and recently, what, two days ago? Was it two days ago? Mm-hmm. They have- in Nashville. Yes. So, yeah. um, so I don't know, you know, is it, is it mental health? Is it gun control? But hopefully, of course, um, that's where your film will hopefully come in and, and just kind of have this debate, right? Just have this discussion uh, yeah. with people. I mean, so I don't, I don't have, I'm not an expert. I don't have a perfect answer. Um, I don't think it's any one thing. I think first, just speaking as a man myself, I think not, not just in the U.S. And we'll, we'll get to additional factors, but definitely in the U.S. as a male, we are taught that we are not supposed to express our emotions, you know, think about all the little boys you've seen, they get hurt, they start crying. Somebody inevitably tells them, stop acting like a little girl, like suck it up, stop it. You're, you're, a, you're a big boy now, stop crying. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. And so the one kind of emotion that we are allowed to express is anger and violence. Like you might get punished for violence, but nobody looks at you like you're less of a person. It's just like, hey, hey you shouldn't have hit that kid you know, you're going to get suspended, but you don't come back to school as like less of a man or less of a boy. So we are taught that like we are, it is okay for us to express anger, but not vulnerability, not sadness, not weakness, not fear, not embarrassment, all these other things. Men, that's not what a man is. So I think there's that, but I think that that applies, you know, in many places of the world, but you take that, you take that, those values and that belief and being taught that from a very, very early age, that as a man, it's okay to be violent. Mm -hmm. And then in the U S what makes us different is our access to weapons. 
And, you know, an AR-15 is an assault rifle. Like this is a, this is a weapon designed for war. So you have access to high powered, extremely efficient weapons mm -hmm. coupled with this value of like, it's okay for me to be violent. And, you know, when I'm angry, when I'm afraid, when I'm threatened, when, you know, when I'm scared, when I'm all of these different things, violence is okay. And I think you put those two together and you have these situations. Um, I, like, uh, I like what you brought about uh, the fact where predominantly that's how little boys are raised and it goes back to the home, to the parental role. And with, with a lot of the, um, the issue, the societal problems and dilemmas and crisis, uh, a lot of it really also boils down to to the home. So th that's a that's a good point. Um, so now they're proposing. There's all, all these solutions about um, like universal background check, arming uh, teachers, and increasing yeah. security uh, right. in, in schools, so on and so forth. But it's not like it's only happening now. But it's so sad that. Um, Really, there's really nothing concrete that has been successful in uh, really uh, bringing this issue to, you know, to a halt or at least to lessen uh, the number, right? Right. When you were making this movie, Emil, was there one major goal that you're hoping the audience would take away from uh, from this film? Yeah, the the main goal was empathy. I wanted. I wanted the rest of us, I wanted adults. The movie's not for kids. We have 20 kids in it, but it's not for kids. It's not intended for them at all. It's for adults to be able to, to feel what it would be like to be in one of these situations, whether you have children or not, whether your children are grown. Um, most of us, like everyone my age, we didn't go through drills. We didn't go through active shooter drills. 100% of the kids that I auditioned, so you know, there's 20 kids in the movie, we auditioned many more. 100% of them, and we shot this film last year, 2019, 100% of these kids have gone through active shooter drills. So the fact that there are children going to schools, planning and training for the idea that someone could come into their classroom and kill them is so wrong. And I, I, wanted, all, I wanted as many adults as possible around the world to feel what it would be like to be the adult in the room and responsible for these lives, including your own, but for all of these little lives, lives and, and start there. Because I do think before change can happen, you have to care, you have to empathize. And so you, you can't, you're not invested in something that you don't relate to. And so that was the goal is like, help people understand what this would feel like. Um, yeah. Thank you for actually, um creating this film and, you know, from ideas, making it into reality uh, and to hopefully really touch uh, a lot of the hearts and minds of not only the parents, but also importantly, uh, the lawmakers, you know, out there and really not have it as part of just one of their agenda, right? Not just one of right. their political agenda to, um, to rally your your party or what have you, right. but really your, your film, yeah, it's something that I think, you know, you don't really, it's one thing to read about it, 
And it's one thing to watch it and seem like you're there and feel what what the the teacher especially uh, was feeling at the moment. So um, uh, spectacular work there, uh, Emil. In closing, uh, how can our audience reach you? And how can, more importantly, how can our audience support you uh, in in this um, project? Um, Well, so I'm on uh, Instagram. My personal account is emilg80. And then my production company where all uh, all the news about one, two, three and all future projects will be is Waterlight Films on Instagram. Um, Those are probably the two best places. And then also my website, which is just waterlightfilms.com. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just really with one, two, three, the best way is just to share it. It'll be playing on HBO in April of next year, 2021. Um, and like we've talked about, it's currently in contention for an Oscar. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and see how far that goes. But, um, when it comes out on HBO, just watching it and sharing it, it's, um, it's not the lightest movie, but, but I do think it's important. Um, so you know, that's, that's probably the best way. Um, and really having a mindful discussion that hopefully just doesn't stop there. And right. have, you know, the right people lobby to the right uh, rules and uh, restrictions, you know, from gun control to, to mental health, to maybe right. even going to what is needed for parents to do, right? To your point, uh, to make sure that, hey, there are outlets, are there other outlets uh, out there to express uh, emotion? So really great work there. I wasn't expecting when I, uh, when I clicked the link, I wasn't expecting <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, and, I, and really I was at the edge of my seat. So um, our, our our audience would be in a treat to uh, to really support you uh, in, in in your project. So um, so congratulations and uh, wishing you. you continued success, Emil. Thanks so and much for Marla. all the dreamers out there. Keep believing. You got this. Till next time. <laughs>